Peace, peace, and welcome. We're glad you're here. This is the Cook on Monday Morning Podcast. I am here with my longtime friend, the incredible, the creative, the homie. Yes, sir. Brian Stone. <laughs> hey, happy to be here, man. Yeah, man. Good morning. Yeah. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for coming. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> At uh, Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday Morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. So um, Brian is the first guest that I've had on that I've known like most of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we met in middle school or I think I think it was I don't know if it was at James Lake or at the park, but we met like around middle school age. Yeah, I think we were all using like the same neighborhood, just like playing football and mm-hmm. yeah, it might have been James Lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so we grew up in the in the same neighborhood. That was like just after I moved to the Fillmore with my grandparents, and uh, you were in Diamond Heights. But I'm excited to have Brian on because we also uh, got started doing music videos together back way back in the day when I used to do music videos and he went on to become one of the most if not the most prominent music video director in the Bay Area award-winning he's worked with probably most of the hip-hop artists that you've heard of and he's seen a lot and done a lot along the way so I want to get into your story I want to get into um, uh, what you're currently working on anything new that you have exciting coming up so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to get this thing going. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, what, childhood or? Um, well, let's start with uh, music videos is like, I think, how most people know you. Yeah. And um, talk a little bit about how you got introduced to filmmaking and where that is taking you. Okay. Well, um, felt like when I was young, I was just kind of like floating around. Um, it wasn't like something that clicked or something I saw that made me want to get into music videos or, you know, media filmmaking and stuff. Um, my brother, he was like a big basketball, you know, enthusiast. He loved playing and um, he bought a camera when we were like really young and um, he just wanted to record everything, he record like the neighborhood. And um, he didn't have anybody to do it. So, of course, like he asked me and, um, you know, I love my big brother, you know, I supported him, you know, always. And uh, yeah, I just became his cameraman, you know. And um, yeah, just for me, it be, I kind of felt like I became like the librarian, like the video librarian for like the neighborhood. Like I was documenting all the things, all the changes and stuff going on in the neighborhood. And um, when did that start? Uh, when right. I was eight years old. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, just like how the neighborhood changed. Um, and like we became like the brothers known because like when I was eight years old, like nobody had like a video camera, like nobody like even thought about like, all right, I'm gonna spend like three hundred, five hundred dollars to buy a camera. Like kids weren't even like thinking like that when I was when I was young. And um we what, just became what neighborhood you grew up in? Uh I was born in um the Bayview and then like when I turned like seven, eight, I moved into Diamond Heights. Okay. So um yeah, like we we were filming and then like um one of our older homies, he was starting a program called CYMC and he knew that like, oh, I know these two kids are like editing videos with their VCR and they're like recording every day. So um he got us into Conscious Youth Media Crew. And inside that program we learned about like editing and um just like went on movie sets and did everything like film related. Mm-hmm. And so so it started with basketball. What is some of the basketball uh, pieces that you put together look like? Uh, well, are you familiar with streetball? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we kind of did like, you know, an, an, a non-recreational, like non-fundamental version of regular basketball. And we kind of like filmed like a couple guys in the neighborhood and we uh, created like a DVD uh, called Unprotected Hoops, which we sold copies of like overseas, Asia, Europe. Um, it kind of like created like this little underground buzz. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, mostly like that was like most stuff that we did with basketball. Mm-hmm. And so you did that. Uh, what ages were you when you were putting that together? Like the sort of age range. 
Uh, well, it started. I mean, we started when we were eight. So like, we filmed like us growing up playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started making like actual tapes, like our first VHS tape. Um, I want to say I was like maybe like thirteen. Mm-hmm. We created like the stop and start on the VCR. Created like added music and created like a project with that. And um, then we like kind of got a crew together. We started printing T-shirts, and then once we knew that we could take it to the next step and like add edit on like a nonlinear program like Final Cut or iMovie or whatever, we uh, created a DVD. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I want to say we created the DVD like maybe two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so. That's when you started creating DVDs and did and you also did a feature length film. Yeah. Did you did you do that before you got into music videos or after? Um, it was it was during um I, I started music videos. Um, I I can't remember like how far <laughs> back like I started because it was like you know, I know that it was like one rapper in the neighborhood when I did like my first music video. Now like it's like twenty rappers in the neighborhood, right? But um. Yeah, what was the question? I'm sorry. About about the the feature like film. We're trying to get the chronological order right. Yeah. Um. So I want to say like sometime between 2006 2008, like we created like a feature film with Conscious Youth Media Crew, Choice mm-hmm. of Weapons. Yeah, the name of the film was Choice of Weapons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it I was, was a, I was an extra in the movie. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, in there. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he made the. <laughs> what is yeah, Choice of Weapons? <laughs> uh, so Choice of Weapons uh, at the time and still currently is like dealing with some of the issues that are happening in the Bayview um, gang injunctions. Um, in the back, there's like a toxic yard where they're like digging up like a lot of toxic dust. Like there are people getting like lung issues and nose bleeding, and um, we kind of like. Went to like a lot of meetings and like in the community and like kind of like heard the stories and like developed like a, a script based on that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what was that process like creating that and, and where has some of the places that Choice of Weapons has been debuted? Um, it's it's been debuted um, in Chicago. Uh, there was like a Los Angeles Film Festival um, that it played throughout. Um, yeah, and then like a couple of theaters in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Play. Yeah. But that, that's a big shift, like doing street ball to a feature length film. So what yeah. was that transition like for you? Um, it, it was different. Like, I mean, just being in Conscious Youth Media Crew, like when we first got there, uh, we told stories that we wanted to tell uh, mm-hmm. about our community. And then um, when we when Choice of Weapons came up, uh, we were uh, we uh, we applied for this grant. I forgot it's like the Cal Grant or something, and we won. Mm-hmm. So we pretty much had to tell a story about a specific neighborhood um and then we um kind of made it a little bit more creative we like use like a relic or something um and then from there we just try to make it be as organic as possible like we got people from the neighborhood to act in the movie mm-hmm. um and then all the people that were a part of cymc they uh developed the script mm-hmm. and then we um yeah just cast and shot it right right yeah and so when we first do you remember our, the first project we did together yeah, with the, with the Usher or yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, is, is that still out on YouTube or uh, I don't think you, that's you out. took it down. Huh? Uh, I don't think I said it was ever went up. I don't went up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was a classic. Man. Yeah. So uh, the in the summer of two thousand six, I did my first music video because I was doing like a project for a film class at SF, SF State, mm-hmm. and you know I knew you did video, so and I didn't really know what I was doing. But it was basically like a a short story that was um, played to the background of a Usher song. Yeah. And uh, the morning that I did that music video, I was robbed at gunpoint. It was like a Friday morning in Lake. Hey man, I'm glad I stayed home that day. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I was robbed at gunpoint. And then like after it, I was with my little cousin. And after it happened, um, I was like, all right, I got a video to shoot. You know, so we drove. I never reported it to the police. We drove straight to the music video set, and I think somebody that was connected to you was helping. But um, that's sort of how our uh, partnership was. We, we've been friends since middle school, but that's how we started doing like some music video work together. Um, what do you remember about some of the projects that we get together, like that story and et cetera? The the ones we've done together. Mm-hmm. Um. It, it was just like endless hours. Like I know that, um, like once we shot, we just like we were working like late hours at night. Um, I think one time we forgot like one piece, like a, a hard drive piece or something. We had to drive. I don't know if you remember that we had to drive like an hour or two just to to get it to 
Yeah, it's just, just like, um, it was cool, man. Like, on set, you know, it was like stories that's kind of like a little bit of explanatory or whatever. But uh, it, it was fun, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was good. It's fun working with friends, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the we we did a we did a sh- somewhat of a movie with my cousin, uh, Marquise. He was he, he, he created the Adventures of Nippy Swagger, which is up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it's like, a sh- it was kind of like modeled after Streets is Watching, the Jay-Z yeah um short film where it's yeah. a bunch of music videos strung together yeah and uh and you know we pretty much work for free mm-hmm. yeah at the end of the day it was, yeah. it was free and um but, but but i got a ton of experience on i mean I, for me it was very um instrumental in in launching my career at starting things you know because people always use the term entrepreneur and all of that and um I think I've changed my relationship to the term because it's kind of overused. But those initial experiences creating music videos was like the first time, you know, I had an idea and then I had to bring it to life. And uh, there were a bunch of people connected to the project that I had to bring along to finish the idea. And as I was trying to bring it along to finish it, a bunch of things went wrong along the way. And so, you know, when you're dealing with like other artists, right? And 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 in rap, you know, people want to have a good time. So everyone's like drinking and smoking when they get there. People don't want to listen. You got to try to get a location and like the equipment doesn't turn out the way you want to. And it was like, you know, everything was falling apart. Mm-hmm but I never felt so activated and charged and um, committed to anything I was ever doing. And this was when I I was in college, you know? And so um, it was incredibly stressful while we were doing it. We didn't get paid much to do it, but as soon as it was over, I wanted more, you know? And so I I credit that time together with really uh, allowing me to spur a bunch of other things that I've started since then, like uh, the ability to bring an idea to fruition, dealing with the setbacks that happened along the way. And, um, and uh, you know, being a part of something that can grow and build. And, and but I stopped doing music videos and you really took, you made, you really made a career out of it, you know? So just to, just to do this real quick, cause I want to get into some of the artists that you've worked with, but um, this is like when YouTube is really becoming the platform for artists. For the videos that you've created um, on YouTube, how many views have you gotten across the videos you've created? Um, I want to say like 40, 50 million. Views. 40, 50 million. Yeah. And how many music videos have you done? Maybe at least 400. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, like at one point I was shooting like four music videos a week. Mm. Sometimes... I remember one time I challenged myself to see how many I could shoot in a day, and I did like ten music videos in one day. That's hard to believe. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, the the whole process of music videos have, have changed now. Like, um, I mean, it's it's good to have if you have like a concept, you know, like there's there's pretty much no limitations to, you know, what you can do as, as long as you can pull it off and stuff. But um, yeah, originally when I first started off, I had like a big crew, and mm-hmm. like we had to have the lights, you know the reflectors you know all these things but now like if your concept is there you know all you need is your camera and your your mind Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so you were part of that wave that you know with with technology it really democratized um who had access to creating stuff that the public can see and doing things in a way that was more affordable that you know you can get out quickly and so so in 2006, that's the day that, that's the that's the summer that we did that initial project together. Who are some of the artists you've gone on to work with? Um, I've I mean everybody NorCal, you know, I've worked with E40, Mr. Fab, Rest in Peace. I worked with the Jacka, Hustler. I mean, I could you want me to name 400 people right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, just the people yeah. that we might recognize. <laughs> yeah, um, I've worked with Paul Wall, um, Alan Anthony, who signed to The Rock. I worked with Freeway, um, worked with Lil Dicky, um, Chris Webby, uh, uh, Mark Battles, Locksmith. Mm-hmm. 
La Rue just on us. It's a million people, you know. Mm-hmm. What is what are some of the? Uh, all right, so I want to get into some of the stories that you've that you've had doing some of these projects. I want to start with this story of the music video that you actually shot with my cousin Joe. Joe is my cousin. He's a rapper. What's Joe's rap name? Joski. Joski. Oh yeah, it's your cousin, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Joe Joski is uh it's well yeah my first cousin um, uh, Aisha Cook her little brother is Joski and okay. he was a part of um is you was he in a what, tell the story of what happened like the rap group and what happened the day of the video that I'm talking about. Um, so the song itself was like it wasn't like a We Are the World song, but like it was a song that featured uh people from different neighborhoods like rival neighborhoods mm-hmm. so it was like for for you know just for what it was like it was as close as you can get to it mm-hmm. so we pretty much had to cross borders and uh, there was like a lot of you know moves behind the scenes um happening in order to make that you know possible so uh we were shooting different neighborhoods uh throughout the whole day like you know there were like cops undercover cops is like driving by looking at us uh it was maybe like an eight hour day. So like, we were like, all right, they're just gonna watch us all day. You know, this is what usually happens when it's like, you know, 20, 50, whatever, mm-hmm. people out shooting. So uh, I think towards the end of, uh, or towards the end of the shoot, uh, we were filming inside of a park. And um, we were like filming a bunch of guys on the step and we about to- Where were you? Um, I wanna say it was Harbor Road, like in the back of Harbor. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Bayview. Yeah, in the Bayview. Hunter's point. Mm-hmm. So we were back there and um we shot one scene and then we were about to roll into the next scene. And then out of nowhere, like as I'm rolling the camera, like we just hear like, put up your hands, like get down. Like just like people shouting, like we like, what's going on? Like mm-hmm. we just like looking around and stuff. And um a bunch of like plain clothes cops came up, didn't announce themselves, uh, had their guns pointed at us. And then we like some of us like yo like we're trying to like calm down situation like hey man we shooting a video like what mm-hmm. are you doing? But there were like cops at least like twenty cops coming from like every direction and like people behind me like if you see the video um like a cop came from behind me like was yelling in my ear grabbed my hand and like put my hands behind my back put the camera down and uh it was weird like how they uh, when he took the camera from me like he actually like put it on top of a a structure. And then it kind of like was oh, aiming for a right playground. At, yeah, playground structure, and mm-hmm. it was like aiming right at us. Yeah, it was just, it was just like a weird. Uh, I don't know, it just like it just seemed unreal. Like it wasn't like like it was something from a dream or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, just just the whole time, I just felt like man, I felt like I felt like a bad feeling, like something was about to happen. Someone's about to run, or you know, it was a situation that they weren't comfortable with, like the police, and they couldn't control, it, and you know, somebody might get shot possibly. Mm-hmm. But luckily, no one. Got hurt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So to replay a little bit of the context, it's a bunch of black males from rival neighborhoods that came together to do music and they went to each other's rival neighborhood. So this was sort of like supposed to be an effort at bringing people together in peace. And um, and then you came to another gathering place and, and the police came up with like without announcing themselves with with no, were they looking for somebody? Was there like any sort of explanation? That's you know, um, they they pretty much sat us on the wall and they like took pictures and did video like one by one of each of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know what was going on or, or who they were looking for or given really a reason as to why they were searching us. But they pretty much searched us, held us there for like one or two hours, um, and then eventually said, "All right, you guys can go," and, and that was that. They didn't give you any explanation. They handcuffed you, laid you down. Yeah. Yeah. And and so with this this video, is it still available online somewhere or no? Yeah, it's online. We uh, used a snippet of it in the video, mm-hmm. um, at the midpoint of the video. Um, and then there's like the raw video. Um, and what kind of like made it sort of viral, um, it had just happened to me. And I was like, man, like I was thinking to myself, man, this is messed up. Like mm-hmm. I was just sitting there, I was just like, all right, let me just put it on my like Facebook and just share it with my friends. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, I just want to show my friends, like, you know, and I felt like they could relate because they know me. Mm-hmm. I just uploaded it and then like I was getting like messages from like news um companies and stuff and different blogs, like from all over the world, just people just just vibing and just telling me like, yo, man, I'm I'm sorry that happened to you. Mm-hmm. That that's actually how I first heard about it, because you know, we we friends. 
and I yeah. saw it on the news. Yeah, yeah. It was like on on SF Gate, or it was like it was somewhere some online news publication had it. Then I hit you after I saw it, and um, so that was like, I mean, was that your most viral video? No, I mean, I mean that maybe have gotten like a million views or whatever mm-hmm. um, on Facebook, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, the little Dicky video is probably like the most viral. They got like a million in a day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so when when this happens to like you know, this is a common narrative for our community, like young black males being the target of um, police, uh, you know, like like of a police harassment, and um, and typically when it happens, you know, we kind of like expect it. And there was this there was this whole moving around activism, which I know that you've always been sympathetic, but you're not necessarily like an activist. Like you, you're out trying to create, you're making music, you're making videos that have a message. You believe in a lot of things that um, are socially conscious, but uh, you kind of got wrapped up in this whole, you know, which really has been like a national conversation about uh, unfair treatment of the police. Like, what was that for you? How was that? What was that experience like? afterwards like people reaching out to you and all of that um well it was something like it wasn't the first time like i have had like police officers interrupt like a video shoot of mine so it was like a numb experience for me but like as far as like everyone reaching out like from all over like i've never had that happen Mm -hmm. like i don't know i guess you can grow accustomed to it and like all right this is just how the police treat you and stuff but like if you see the world react to you know something's happened to you like it's like damn like maybe this isn't right you know mm-hmm. yeah because before this happened there was an incident where you got arrested for mistaken identity yeah 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 what what, what happened then um i mean i was just um i don't know i feel like growing up i've always you know been harassed by the police um and i was just i just just had left my, my mom's house and i was uh running to go hop on the bus and for some reason, like this cop car just pulled up and said, Hey, you stop. And I'm like, Nah, man, they go to the bus. Like, I'm about to hop on the bus. You're like, mm-hmm. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, What are you talking about? And I was just like, Just kept walking. Like, he's, he's an idiot. And he like moved his car and tried to run me over. I'm like, All right. Mm-hmm. I just stopped. And yeah, they eventually said, like, I stole like a cell phone or something. Um, and uh, the weird part was like, a, another car came and it was like a block away and then like they had me like stand up turn left and right and I'm like all right this is the guy they said it's him and they like took me to jail and i'm like whoa like this is real like y'all really taking me to jail like mm-hmm. and um long story short uh i mean I, I did like maybe two days and like the guy that they were looking for was like 50 years old he had like a beard <laughs> then he had dreadlocks like i've never had dreadlocks mm. um yeah and i think i like i wrote to the to the city um to the police academy like for an apology and like mm-hmm. they never gave me an apology but um yeah i don't know it yeah. happens i guess yeah yeah i mean it, it should never happen but like when, when when you got arrested uh your sister called me yeah um it was weird like i've never had um any issues like with the police or the law i've never mm-hmm having any kind of record um my sister saw me like being handcuffed mm-hmm. and like she saw them throw me in the car and like she literally looked at me it was like like is this real like what's mm-hmm. going on like mm-hmm. she couldn't even react mm-hmm. it was like just you know it's crazy yeah yeah i mean when, when it happened um and she called me i was like floored because uh yeah because because you know because you i mean i've known you like i was saying like all my life like you you've never done anything criminal you've always like you you don't you don't smoke or drink like you're not out there making bad decisions and yeah you've always been a creative like the dude that was um you know doing something positive and so when it happened i immediately knew you were innocent and i was like i was livid right and yeah. so i'm calling everybody that i know like the people that work in the district attorney's office that i know a police officer that i know and they were all they were all like, well, if he actually didn't do anything, and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I was like, I was like, no, he, you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. like, I don't want to raise my voice right now. Like I was on the phone. I was like, there's, there's, there's absolutely no way that he did anything wrong. Like I know yeah. this dude. And, um, and one of my, one of the guys I know that's a cop, he was like, man, trust me, like this happens all the time. Yeah. Like it happens all the time. You know, we're strange. Then I was enough. like, 
all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know? It was like mistaken identity happens all the time. And he was like, yeah. And so um, it was education for me. It's never, it's, that's never, I've never been, you know, knock on wood. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still a black man in America. I've never been arrested for mistaken identity. Mm-hmm. But um, even if I knew you were somebody that was sort of involved in stuff, I might've been like, um, well, I'll do what I can to help, you know? But I was just like, there's no way Brian stole somebody's cell phone. Yeah. You know? And and then they refs you up for stealing a cell phone, which is like, um, you know, we have all these misdemeanor crimes that happen all over the city that seem like go without any sort of consequence. Like people getting their car phone, their car is broken into and all types of stuff that people don't really like get arrested for. So the way the story sounded, I'm telling you a story how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's felt mm-hmm. like an over-exaggeration. Yeah, yeah. Hey, to man, what's yeah. happening? One person happened as well, man. <laughs> yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, no, they, they had like six cars on me, man. Mm. Um, and then when they took me in, they really played like the good cop, bad cop thing. Like every police officer in there said, like, yeah, I know you did it. Like, mm. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and when I was in there, like, like by day two, I was like, damn, this is, this is going to be my story. Like, I didn't think I was getting out. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, because there's people that serve time for like years, you know, and, and didn't. We're innocent, you know. Mm-hmm. So, 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 what led to your release? Um, I guess there was fingerprints on the phone, and it didn't match mine. And they just called my name, and I just walked straight out. And did you try to pursue any? You asked for an apology. Did you pursue any legal action against the police? Yeah. So, uh, we we pretty much because of the two incidents, we're pretty close together. Uh, with the music video and me being arrested mm-hmm. uh, for that time, I went to the movies. Uh, we try to include my um my profiling with the case of them uh, raiding our video shoot. So, um, I mean, everything got pretty much dismissed mm. at, at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dismissed meaning that what? Uh, well, we um, pretty much went into settlement court with, uh, with the police department. So uh, there were two like different settlement rooms. Um, and I think we had like a high ask mm-hmm. and uh, theirs was like, maybe like a tenth of a tenth of what we were asking. They offered us like a thousand dollars. Um, and then it maybe went up to like 20 or so, mm-hmm. but, uh, just the fees it would have took to fight the case. It like, it kind of like scared everyone. Yeah. Honestly, like it was like, if we lost, it would have cost us like probably each $50,000, mm-hmm. which none of us had. Yeah. Yeah. This is like one of the major divides I think in, in, in the country about, um, are the police justified when they engage someone, right? Like, do they have malicious intent? Are they uh, targeting black people? And, um, and you know, there's part of the country that says that, well, he, was pro- he probably shouldn't have been doing something wrong to, you know, and then there are others that will say, um, they, do this all, they do this to us all the time and uh, we should expect it. But then when citizens try and uh seek recourse there's like no accountability you know like you there's no apologies there's no fees for legal damages we're just supposed to be okay with getting subjected to the this unfair treatment you know which is like which is unacceptable and it starts early like i remember just even when i was like 12 i've had like issues with the police of you know just being harassed Mm-hmm. For whatever reasons, like I've shot in videos in my own neighborhood and like, you know, neighbors have called the cops and like the police have pulled up and say, hey, we got to call there. Some people dancing on the corner. Mm-hmm. And it was like, officer, like we're dancing on the corner. Like, mm-hmm. what's, what's the issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just it's always been like that for me. There has to be some sort of uh, I mean, as a city, we have to be able to um, right these wrongs and uh and for people that are creatives like you, like there's a whole permitting process to trying to film in a city. And it's really hard to get out, like the, the amount of cost it takes to do something in a way where you can block off a street and get permits to do it is, is really onerous. Um, and, you know, people got to, we have to create easier pathways for artists to, to be artists. And um, because what you're doing and the people that you've involved as you were doing it are the people we need to focus on creative pursuits like this, you know, like, cause this work is actually transforming lives, right? Like, um, you got into music videos, you got into film and I just happened to know, uh, this, this was, this was like your way 
into something real because your academic experience wasn't so positive. Talk talk a little bit about what it was like for you going through K through twelve. Um, I always tell people this. Um, like I I've never really like been into too much or heavy into education. Like I've always loved math and always loved art. And I guess that's why it makes sense that I got into like, you know, video. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like you need math to like in order to edit and artists like, you know, the creative side. But um yeah, school, like I, I just like resented it. Um I was I was never really present there. You know, I just pretty much fill out my name and just like, you know, zone out. But um yeah, one time I had a teacher that that really believed in me and I had like a, a GPA that was like like a point five. Mm. And then like Within the next report card, it went up to like a 3.8, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of like, like, all right, you know, maybe this is like a useful tool for me and I can use this for, you know, something else. Mm-hmm. And then like later, you know, got into CYMC um, and then, okay, I like, I went to further my uh, video skills. So I went to City College, I went to San Francisco State and uh, learned a lot about film there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what were the, what were the schools you went to in San Francisco, like before, um, before college? So uh, in the Bayview, I was going to um, Alvarado. Uh, then I went to Mariloma in elementary, uh, James Lick Middle mm-hmm. School. Mm-hmm. Then I went to McAteer High School. Mm-hmm. And McAteer was just like a, a very poor academic school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we had like the lowest test scores in all of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And did you finish at Mac? Uh, so by the time I reached 11th grade, um, McAteer shut down because mm-hmm. of the, the test scores. And it was like a lot of violence and stuff. Um, it shut down and switched to the School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. So all the school, all the students at uh, McAteer pretty much were dispersed, you know, in different high schools in the city. So I didn't finish there, mm-hmm. and yeah. I went to um, John Adams just to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you're you are very educated, and you're one of the most. Um, I mean, you're in turn when it comes to creating films, like you uh, you have a track record of success to showcase your expertise in that, right? And so we have a traditional education system that wasn't serving you well, and you found a way to really show your genius outside of the school system. And I think that story is inspirational for the people who are currently in school that aren't really like jiving with school, you know? Just just to let you know what we were dealing with at McAteer, like our um, Spanish teacher, um, in order to pass this class, and it was like generations of people that always wanted to take this class, mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, in order to pass the class, all you have to do is copy the Spanish newspaper. Mm. Yeah. That's the type of rigor. <laughs> yeah, like you get, you get an A plus, just copy the paper, boom, 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 you're done. So, so all you have to do is copy the paper and he give you an A? Yeah, you get an A. This is in high school. You just spent the whole day copying the paper? Yeah, or you might watch a, a movie, you know. Mm. Yeah. It, it was it was bad. Like even in like my English classes, like when I would read out loud and stuff, like and I was able to read. Like teachers like would stop me sometimes. Like wow, like you can read. Well, like I literally had that happen to me. Like a teacher interrupted me. Like wow, you can read. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. Well, being on the school board, um, trying to, it's just like we have we have all the we have these teaching practices and this approach to black students that is really harmful and. uh we have some schools where teachers are checked out or high performing schools where they don't believe in black kids. And um, it's also a message for them if they see this to see you and see that like what they're offering kids isn't adequate for them to really reach their true potential. You know, for you it was video. And I'm just wondering for how many more students that could have been filmmakers that we didn't get to, you know? You know, uh, when McAteer transitioned, like, um, into the School of the Arts, like, I was starting to get into video, and, like, I so bad went to go to Soda, but, like, they weren't allowing, like, any of the students from McAteer to go there. Yeah, the whole, yeah, everything that happened around Soda, too, that was, like, a, um, that was a really, I think that was, that was, that's a really ugly story in, in our city about what happened with that site, and, Mm -hmm. um, and the, and the way that it, like, played out, like, all these kids of color, and Soda, taking over the campus and they and them being dispersed it's like it's crazy to think that that yeah. happened you know yeah. um and yet through all of it through like a um a education system that wasn't uh nurturing you um in the community where the police was harassing you you still prevailed and made a name for yourself in the film space mm-hmm. and now you've since transitioned into doing other things 
let's talk about some of that. Like what what was the impetus for um, you sort of changing focuses in your career and what you're working on now? Um, well, with video work, like, I mean, in a perfect world, you can work on creative projects that pay well. You know, but but in reality, like sometimes you have to take on those projects that you're you aren't as crazy about. So um, I found myself trying to balance the two, and um, I kind of, in a way, resented like shooting videos sometimes. You know, I'm like, all right, like, a this is a situation that's putting my life in danger. B it's not really creative. C I'm not really like feeling like, you know, creatively motivated or anything. So um, and I didn't want to work like a regular job. Like I didn't want to work for anyone else. I, I've kind of found like I realized that like a lot of my ambition and my self-motivation came from me like you know just doing things and seeing what I can do myself you know and, and build and create so um I got into other things I, I got into um like vintage clothing and stuff um I'm a part of a collective uh in San Francisco in Berkeley as well called Indigo Vintage so um I mean it's and it kind of like the world's kind of kind of mixed in together um like this photography, like sometimes you have to shoot a model or whatever. Like sometimes um, different artists, like G Easy, he's like wore stuff from our store at concerts and stuff. So I've got a little bit into that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, how did you start that, and what does the business look like now? Well, the, the how I started was um, dealing with some artists. Uh, sometimes I would shoot a video, and I'll have an artist show up like an hour late or two hours late. Mm. I'm like, all right, I'm not just going to sit here filling my thumbs. Like, I got to, you know, keep moving, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just, like, would, you know, go to different thrift stores or, you know, just figure different ways to utilize my time. And I got into, like, I never was into, like, clothing at all. Like, growing up, I was like, all right, whatever. I'll throw whatever on my back. Mm-hmm. But um, just, like, the history and, like, what was kind of behind, like, vintage clothing and just, I don't know, it just kind of drew me in, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of, like, got into that. Yeah. And so you you're you're part of a collective, but do you you also like sell stuff on Instagram or how does that work? Yeah, um, Instagram, different um, apps online and stuff. Uh, I do a couple markets. Uh, there's this one in LA called the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, different, um, just like a whole bunch of different markets and stuff. I do as well as mm-hmm. like online. Yeah. What is the but what's the Instagram handle for the for your clothes that you use? Oh yeah. So my Instagram handle is uh Peter Thriffin Vintage. Say it again. Peter Thriffin Vintage. It's kinda like a play off of Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, uh, it's it's been fun. Like I've I've met like and made like a lot of new friends. Um and like feel like it's opened up like a whole new chapter for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think you're kind of like underselling it too. Cause like how many, how many followers does Peter Thriffin have? I, I honestly don't even have that many followers. I probably got like what? 3000 followers. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, more, you know, I, don't, I don't have Instagram. It's more yeah, than yeah, yeah. 3000 followers <laughs> on Instagram. You're nobody. Oh, uh, is that yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. Is that the, real? <laughs> the engagement though, that you told me around Instagram was really um, interesting though. Have you been able to spur a lot of business from it? From Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. It's constantly. I mean, like, some people have like stores on Instagram, like you can turn your Instagram to a shop page mm-hmm. um, and then you can link it to everything, like to your Facebook, to your website. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are selling stuff like, every day on Instagram. It's it's almost like up there with eBay, you know, mm-hmm. like you could hashtag something specific and mm-hmm. you know, people look for it. Do you enjoy doing vintage clothing more or music videos more or um, filmmaking? You know what? Like. In, when I first started doing like vintage, like it was like a 90-10 split, you know, in, in terms of my time and maybe my enjoyment. Um, and then like, I don't know, I just started devoting more time to, to vintage. Um, I still love film. Like I look at like old videos of mine. Um, I see new videos. Um, I still do videos now and then. I shot something like last week that I'm editing now. Um I don't know. They're both my babies, man. So I got a set of twins, man. I don't yeah, know yeah. Tell you don't want to pick one, yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't <laughs> pick one. You know, it's it's. Um, I mean, you're dealing with more people with a video. Like, if you're on a set with a hundred people, you know, and you're trying to create something and drive people in a specific direction, you know, that that could be stressful sometimes. Um, there's really no stress with doing vintage clothing, like, and I get to do like a lot of the same things I, I would do. Like, I'm traveling to different states, um, eating new foods, learning about different cultures, and Mm-hmm. Making friends like as I would with video. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of babies. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I'm gonna need you to babysit this real soon, man. What's that? <laughs> I'm gonna need you to babysit. Oh real yeah, soon. anytime, anytime. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you got a you got a baby on the way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I got a little girl coming, man, in April. Um, uh, that's beautiful. Really, really excited, man. The day that my girl told me, um, it's just like a feeling I never felt before, like like a proud feeling. Um, I mean, you, you you can do like many things in life, like you can have like a million views or. You know, do this, do that, travel, whatever. But like the feeling you get when you become a father, know you're about to become one. It's like it's it's next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talk about. Uh, I mean, I know you have like a history around your family dynamic, like how you were raised, and you're about to step into parenthood. Um, share a little bit about. We didn't really get into it, but kind of what your home life looked like and how that informs the type of father you want to be. Um. Well, I pretty much like my my mother pretty much took care of me and my four other siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my dad wasn't around. Uh, my sister's dad he was around here and there, uh, but like my mom, she did like a hell of a job, just like keeping us out of trouble, like making sure like you know we didn't want or need for anything. Um, and I kind of like I I was never bitter towards my father, but it kind of gave me like a feeling of wanting to be there when I had to become a father. Mm-hmm. So um, just like many values and stuff and wisdom that my mom just shed on me just like got him deeply embedded in me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what did and what did your mom do most of growing up what did she uh she worked many um my dad doesn't mean to drive that's why i no joke, to- man they turn your back your arms up man uh, like what did she drive did she drive for muni or what yeah, she she, she was in the woods uh she she drove like the 52 sometimes we get we get a free ride you know all oh, right 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 and 14 14 is brutal man you know mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, she did Muni for a while. She worked Laguna Honda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, Muni is one of the biggest employers of Black people in this city, yeah. and I feel like a lot of Black people that grow up here, we got a family member that works for Muni. Yeah, you know, cousin, somebody. Right. Yeah. Why we Why we gravitate towards Muni like that? <laughs> well, I mean, I think like you also have to consider why are other departments hiring Black people at the same rate, mm-hmm. and what Muni is giving. What Muni is offering that allows them to take care of their families, you know, because mm-hmm. my dad drives from Muni, but he started maybe like five years ago. He was working, he was driving paratransit. My first cousin, um, Aisha Joski's older sister, mm-hmm. she drives from Muni. She's been driving from Muni like 10 years. I have another cousin that drives from Muni. And so I keep talking about that because um, uh, there's a lot of issues around how Muni treats its drivers. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the type of salary that the drivers are getting allow black people to have a chance at staying here in the city, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's something there that I think that is worth building on, exploring, improving, but yeah, but your mother drove from uni and she mostly, she raised you mostly on her own. Yeah. And now you're about to step into being a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, how do you think about that? Like what's like on your mind when it comes to, um, I mean, I don't have like a, a nine to five to where I can like consistently like depend on, you know, like every day in order for things to in order to, uh, for to make things happen for myself. And now for my child on the way, like I have to get creative and make it happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I feel like I've always been an ambitious person. Like and when you have a kid, it definitely like triples that, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about it to see like, you know, what levels that, you know. This this new you know arrival is going to push me to. Mm-hmm. And talk about your your girl a little bit too. Oh, because uh, you, you're not you're not having a child, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it feels like you know sometimes the fathers share the same symptoms and stuff. You know, I've been I've been getting a little bloated, man. You know, yeah. all that rice. Yeah, now nah, um, how, how long y'all been together? We've been in, we've been together. Me and my girl, uh, we've been together for like seven years. Mm-hmm. Like the longest relationship I've ever had. Um, the most I wouldn't say challenging, but the most rewarding relationship i've ever been in um yeah i don't know what, what you what you nah, that's just that <laughs> whatever you want to yeah, say yeah man I, lo- I love my girl man <laughs> i love my girl yeah uh, yeah yeah good good luck with the pregnancy and um you know i look forward to meeting the child um uh so i'm really happy for you thank you i'm really i think you're going to be an amazing father yeah and you know, you know it's been like another reason why i sort of shifted mm-hmm. from music videos um like there's many stories like of like a lot of dangerous stuff that's happened on music video sets. Um, just been like shootouts and you name it, man. And it's a lot different when you're shooting like a music video to where it's all organic. Like, all right, we got a hundred people 
from this neighborhood versus we're in LA, we're going to hire an agency to bring us a hundred people and it's a controlled mm-hmm. environment. Mm-hmm. So I, I just ran into like a lot of situations like that. And um, yeah, I've probably been in like, as far as like poverty or hood, you know, ghetto areas, I've probably been to every one in California, mm-hmm. different States, you know? Right. And um, not to say I didn't value my life, but like now that I have like, you know, a kid coming, I'm like a little bit more careful in how I move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So you, you're you looking to up your business pursuits in general and you have extra motivation. You're going to, your life's going to change when your daughter comes. Yeah. Um, are there any sort of broad stroke things that you're looking to get done in 2020? Um, I, I love music videos. Um, like I thought of like, all right, maybe I'll just transition into doing like corporate videos or weddings. But if I do that, I'll probably be falling asleep behind the camera. Like I, it has to be like a spark for me. Like so, mm-hmm. I've just been focusing more on like studying videos of of directors that I like and like just doing treatments and scripts. Mm-hmm. Just like staying sharp. Um, a friend of mine, he just did a film, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, okay. So like, yeah, things like that. Like I'm gravitating towards like developing and creating. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. So um, I wrap up the interview talking about two things: uh, leadership and legacy. And so, um, because you've pretty much worked for yourself, you've involved other people, um, you know, you, you've had to, we talked about get projects done to bring people in a particular direction. Do you have any guiding principles when it comes to leadership? Um, well, for me, like, it was always like lead by example. And then just, like responsibility, um, just like recognize that you're responsible, like, you know, for others sometimes. Um, for instance, like just being on a video set and like making sure things are efficient and run smoothly and, you know, and being like that guiding light to, you know, kind of ease and help people sometimes has been like a big thing for me. Um, legacy, like, I, I well, just. I, I got something for legacy first. Oh, let, let me, sorry. let me, I got set it up. Yeah. Any other guiding principles on leadership? Um, <laughs> Like, I believe that idle time is the devil. Um, like, I, I'm just, like, in love with constantly moving and, you know, progressing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, on Legacy, so I, I named my company the Luther Harris Holding Company. I named it after my great-grandfather. He came here from Arkansas and uh, started a life for him and his family. He had a sixth-grade education, bought homes for all of his children, Um he did it at a time when it was hard, much harder for black people to do anything significant. He also worked for Muni for a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, so his legacy is important to me. This is his dictionary. Oh. <laughs> and uh, these are his wife's chairs. Okay, they're a little creaky. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I'm trying to keep still, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, his legacy is important to me. And it's, it's, it's important in terms of how I think about my legacy. How do you think about your legacy? You know, it's funny, like my um, stepfather, who I looked at as a father, he had a book just like that. It was like an unabridged dictionary, like mm. super fat. Um, I just, I don't know, I just kind of like, like what he did, like he, he instilled like a lot of wisdom in me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I just try to spread wisdom, you know, I, um, yeah, man, it's, I'm, I feel like my legacy is still still developing. Like I've I've created like a lot of cool projects and built like a lot of friendships. I feel like friendships are really important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more important than money or anything. Um, just uh, if I, you know, like when we um had the the program where we were helping the kids and um doing like and I was teaching the kids uh multimedia, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say just like passing the torch and just like like teaching the youth something you know and like my sister she uh i'm sorry i'm like jumping all over the place. i always jump all over the place you don't have to my man. sister she uh she works with kids mm-hmm. and she always tells me like hey i need you to like won't you come in and like work with the kids like there's no black men like coming in talking to the kids and showing them what you do and, mm-hmm. and like i was like uh like i don't know i don't think it's a big deal if i really come in but mm-hmm. like when you actually do it like when i worked with the kids like you know i really saw that it was affecting them and so saying that i just feel like um Whatever you feel like you've learned, you know, along the way, you know, it's good to, to pass it on. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brian Stone. Hey. <laughs> that was fun, man. Yeah. Get it. Peace, peace. And thank you. 
for listening to another episode of Cook on Monday Morning. At Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. The conversation I had with Brian brought me back. You know, I've known him since I was like 11. And, you know, seeing him grow up, uh, watching all the things that he's done and where his career has taken him and seeing and knowing that, you know, his creative genius is what got him there. I don't know. It's really fun to reflect on. I hope you enjoyed our conversation together. I hope you learned something new. If you've been thinking about doing something creative and you've been holding off on doing it, I hope you tap into that and share that with the world. I'd like to thank all the people that made this podcast possible. I'd like to thank my videographer and producer, David Topete. Thank you. I'd like to thank Fernando and Cinco Marquez for editing the video. I'd like to thank all the people that have shared the work and subscribed to our channels over the course of our time doing this together. It's been really, really uh, inspiring. I appreciate the community that we're building. And this isn't really about, you know, growing fast for the sake of growing fast. It's, It's about tapping into and connecting to the people that we think will really benefit from this content. That said, we are on our way to 2020 subscribers by April 30th of 2020. It gives us all something at the organization to focus on. So thank you for supporting that and asking people to do that on behalf of the show that we're doing. We don't ask for viewer contributions on this show. We uh, really earn through affiliate links. We are working on some merchandise that we want to put up and and share so that people can also purchase that to support the show. Uh, So if you go through one of the recommendations and if you do your shopping on Amazon, whatever you purchase on Amazon, the show will get a kickback. Uh, We can help cover the cost of putting this together. I started a company called the Luther Harris Holding Company. At that company, I help education organizations grow their reach. I help nonprofit leaders grow what they're doing in terms of their impact or their fundraising. Uh, We do brand awareness and strategic advising. If you'd like to learn more about that work, you can reach out to me at Stevon Cook. Anything you want to share with me about the show, things that we should be doing, uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Stevon Cook. My email is info at stevoncook.com. And I'd like to thank all the people that we do this podcast on behalf, the people that help our city run, our muni drivers, our street cleaners, our teachers, our janitorial staff, the people that keep our streets safe, our first responders. Thank you. The show is for you. It's also for people in cities like Washington, D.C., Houston, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Chicago, L.A., Oakland, Miami, Indianapolis, uh, wherever you are and you are looking to change your Monday morning uh, for the purpose of improving yourself and improving your community, this show is for you. I look forward to building together. I look forward to hearing from you. Peace, peace, and we out.